preparation for Easter, Lent, and Holy Week is to the book of Acts. Oh, if you've never just sat down and read the book of Acts, you're saying, really, Otto, what are you talking about? Who sits down and reads the book of Acts? It's beautiful. It is full of power and instruction and stories. And I love Paul's phrase about what happened. So let's let's be clear that we understand that Jesus has come from Bethany into Jerusalem. He's there all week. He's crucified. He's quiet day and he's risen and then he is translated. What happens? They all have scattered and then they all come back together and then they've all had these teachings and the first church is that's what's happening. It's the first church. Can you imagine? The first church. And Paul refers to the first church in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. The new church, the first church, is a new creation. That is very holy concept. In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, we begin to see how the discernment of the people who are the new church, when to be the new church, the new creation. Don't you love that? A new creation. I talked about midwives, called the midwives last time we were together, and there are these new creations born in just horrendous circumstances. But there's always this moment of joy and elation. It doesn't matter if the mother is unprepared or too young or too old or sickly or all the things that happen. It's a new creation, a new life. And that's what the first church was. So in chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. Do Shall I pause there? Let's see. How are you thinking about everything you own being held in common with a bunch of other people? some of whom you don't know, some of them who you may know, some of them who have just said days ago or minutes, minutes before that they love Christ and want to follow. With a great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses sold them, they brought the proceeds of what was sold, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. 
he sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What is this all about? What is this discernment process that said we should all go in on this together? Have you ever done that with some girlfriends? Let's buy her a present. We'll all go in on this together. We'll just go in on this together. Who decides? How does it happen? Well, in Acts chapter 8, and this is a relatively long passage, I want to read it, because it is this place of discernment for the new creation, the first church. How many churches have you been in? How many churches have you belonged to? How old are you? How many churches have you visited? How many churches have you been to in foreign countries or other cities and states? Have you always been in the same church denominationally? I mean, the whole world word church can just start a series of firecrackers. Let me remind you of what I shared with you a couple of days ago. Churches are also offering limited and conditional love. They can never be the on conditional, unlimited love of Christ. And we gather together because it's our nature to be together. We gather together with people who are like-minded. Sometimes I think we should gather together with people who are not like-minded, and we might grow faster as an individual. So in chapter 8 of Acts, verse 9, Now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God. That is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time they had been amazed with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip, and he was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. I don't know about you, but can you go back to the time where you um, first discovered that there was a God and a God who loved you with unlimited love. I, I, I remember thinking whatever I said to God happened. I, whatever I said to God, suddenly there was a dime on the floor, or suddenly someone called me, or suddenly someone invited me to do it. It, just, it was as if God was just dropping these bullets into my um, arsenal and recognizing that God was ultimately in charge and not me and that he would provide. I think that's how God loves me. I think that's how God has loved me. When I was young, and didn't know and didn't understand and didn't have much confidence or trust in him. He was right there before me. Like, how could you not believe that this was God? And that's what Simon himself, he, was, he just subtly believed. He had done all this wizardry and amazed the people, and now he believed. He changed his course. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them as they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, May all your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. Now, after Peter and John had testified and spoke of the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news to many of the villages in Samaria. What do you get from that? Well, I think what we see here is a word that we are, we are careful with, and we shouldn't be, in my opinion. The word is discernment. Discernment. What does discernment mean, and why are we so careful about it? I think that people who walk in faith with God, who loves us unlimited and unconditionally, can discern, discover, know what God wants them to do and to say and to be. Now, it's a growth factor. It's a growth factor. I can still remember the first time that I read the Bible for meditative reading. I had studied the Bible. I had been in seminary knowing the Bible. But learning the Bible and learning how to use the Bible to help and encourage others. But I sat down to read the Bible meditatively. And I knew that God used his word from Genesis through Revelation to encourage to teach, to admonish, and that his words were specifically written to some individuals, and you can find, as, as was Peter and John's words, in the communities of Samaria and to Simon. But these words were inspired to inspire me, which means God could speak to me through these words, and he has. But I can remember the first time. And there, in this passage that I was reading, it was a short passage and I read it over two or three times out loud because I need to have the words come in another way besides through my head and through my ears. And suddenly I was weeping. And I discerned with God exactly what Peter and John were helping Simon discern. And that was that nothing could he do, nothing can you do, Nothing can anyone do to you or for you that will allow you to be in relationship with the one true living God. It is a discernment process. It says, what shall I do, Father? What shall I go? Where shall I be? And the Father who listens to you, we just talked about that a few days ago, the Father who listened to you will guide you, will give you direction. In Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides the soul from the spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
What are your thoughts? What are your intentions? What is God calling you to do? Can you discern what is best for you? I think discerning our true intentions is something we must learn to do for ourselves. Now, if you are um, a believer in Christ, if you believe that Christ has given each of us, upon profession of faith, a spiritual gift, there are some people who have the gift of discernment. And they can know something um, outside of themselves, so to speak. They can recognize in someone what God may be prompting that person to do. But God has called all of us individually, if we walk in faith with him, to discern what God is asking you to do. Not what he's asking your neighbor to do. Not what he's asking me to do for you. I can't discern for you what you can discern for yourself with God. This growth and discernment in the church, in the first church and the new creation was essential. It was essential. The reason why they pooled everything together was they needed to discern how life was going to be and what the first church, the new creation, was going to look like. These stories come from Peter's life. Peter, who I'm afraid is, I'm just like. Impetuous, let's chop off the centurion's ear and let's save Christ from this nonsense of going to the cross. Good intentions. But he couldn't discern what Jesus could discern his father calling him to do. And I want to encourage you, listeners, men, women, mothers, mothers who are training your children to have an ear toward God so they don't have to look to you. Remember when Samuel was with Eli and he hears the voice and he hears the voice and the third time he hears the voice and Eli says, go back to bed. It is God speaking to you. It is God speaking to you. And Samuel replies, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Are you listening? Do you believe that God speaks to you? Do you believe that God can allow you to discern not only your true intentions, but to discern what his intentions are for you? the new creation, the first church, the natural place for us to travel together for a few uh, shows and classes to talk about the first church and Peter's um, engagement with the first church. I'm Donna Otto. We are Modern Homemakers, and we have lots of resources available to you on our website. I recently was encouraged by a long email from someone who had listened to The Power of the Table. Mm. I have a lovely new book. I think I'll bring it to the studio the next time about the table. Maybe I'll read it to you. I love to read these stories about the power of the table and how being with people around a table, eating together, breaking bread together, which is what the First Church did, certainly with great regularity, not just communion, but each daily meal will change the course of your life. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of discerning God's plan for your life.